Before we jump in, we wanted to note that in today's podcast, we discuss stigmas around mental health and interview someone who has had first-hand experience with bipolar disorder. So some of the themes and conversations discussed in this episode might be triggering for some listeners. If you are in need of help, please remember that you are not alone. Help is always here. Reach out to friends, family or support groups like Lifeline on 13114 if you're in Australia. More details in our episode notes. Welcome back to the Stuck In Between podcast. My name is Romy. And I'm Sandon. Thanks for joining us. Today, we'll be exploring a topic which needs to be spoken more about in all parts of the world, but is particularly a taboo in our Eastern communities, and that's mental health. In order to cover this topic in a way that we thought would be most insightful, today's episode will comprise of two interviews. The first bit will be an interview with Dr. Bairi Pari, a psychiatrist trainee of South Asian background that we were fortunate enough to get on the podcast. And then in the second half, we'll interview a mate of mine who's dealing with some mental health challenges of his own to learn a little about his journey and his experiences. Yes, and we'll be anonymizing our second interviewee's name and voice to be sensitive and respectful of his privacy. Cool, let's do it. Before we start the interview, we just want to say a huge thank you for giving us a little bit of your time today. We know you have a busy schedule with work, um, so we'll try not to keep you long. Yeah, thanks so much for doing this, Barry. Pleasure, and thank you for having me on the show. So uh, to give our listeners a little bit of context on who you are, could you tell us a bit about yourself and what drew you to a career in psychiatry? Um, So similar to the both of you, I too am a second generation immigrant. Uh, Both my parents came to Australia in the early 90s and I was born here. Um, And like what you guys have explored in your previous podcasts, um, even though I was born and raised here, I do sometimes feel like I'm stuck in between my Eastern and Western cultures. So shameless plug, not intended. (laughs) Um, But uh, I guess like listening to the experiences that you guys have talked about, I think I can definitely relate to some of that. And I think a lot of other people that are second generation immigrants can also relate to it. So I think you guys are doing a fantastic job with your podcast. Oh, thanks Thank so you. much. We promise we didn't, we didn't make her say that. <laughs> yeah. um, in terms of, I guess, from a psychiatry perspective, so I'm a second year psychiatry trainee and I work in the public health system. And I guess what drew me to psychiatry was that when I was a medical student and did my um, psych rotation, I noticed that the approach to managing a mental health patient's clinical situation, it was really holistic. Mm. Um, So, for example, when a person comes onto a ward or comes into ED, um, it's not just the doctors that are involved in their care, but it's a whole bunch of people. Mm -hmm. So you have, like, the psychologist, um, you have mental health nurses, you have social workers... There's occupational therapists, like a whole lot of different people are involved. And the whole point of that is to make sure that the different parts of a person's life are sorted out before they go home. Mm. And um, I I guess they do this so that they minimize the chances of um, the pet the person becoming unwell and having to come back into hospital and having to spend more time away from their family. And so I guess this kind of overall approach to healthcare. I guess that's what led me into the field of psychiatry and it's something that I really, really enjoy. That's awesome. That's That's so good to hear. So around that, um, we find in general a lot of people in our communities um, diminish psychology and psychiatry um, and the study of mental health 
and like people don't even acknowledge that it exists. Did you feel that backlash when you decided to specialize in psychiatry? Did someone in your family or the community question you for choosing it over other fields of medicine? So I think psychiatry is definitely an area of medicine that people in South Asian communities don't really acknowledge. Um, So often if someone has a mental illness, it's swept under the rug and the person and the people around them sometimes tend to ignore the issue. And even if the person with the illness wants to get help, um, sometimes their family members kind of brush it off and they do this so that they can keep up family appearances. Mm. Um, And I think um, this kind of approach to um, mental illness is related to the stigma associated with having a mental health issue. Um, So I guess for me, in terms of backlash from the community, I didn't really experience any backlash, which was quite good. That's awesome. When I told my family and my friends that I was going to do psychiatry, um, it was 50-50 response. Some of the people were like, oh my God, that's that's so interesting. You know, you see a lot of really cool stuff. And then some of the other people were like, oh, why is it safe? Um, you know, I heard on the news last week that oh. uh, a patient hurt one of the hospital workers, you know. Uh, are you sure that's what you want to do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so overall, no one really discouraged me. But um, I guess for people that know me, they would know that even if they did discourage me, I would still go ahead and do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good idea for that. Awesome. Because I think um, when you kind of break the mould of what's expected, that's when we kind of really grow. Yeah. Um. So in your line of work, there's obviously no doubt that you would see firsthand all the stigmas around mental health, right? Um, But we know that there's a taboo in all parts of the world around it. But from our experience, I think we can see that in the South Asian community in particular, we're lagging behind. Um, In your experience, do you see a big difference in the number of mental health patients you see that are South Asian or even ethnic versus non-ethnics? I guess to start off with, I think there's quite a big um, stigma against mental illness in both Eastern and Western communities. Um, But I guess the difference between the two communities is how much people talk about Mm. it. Um, So in the Western community, there's quite a lot of discussion about mental illness, especially recently because of COVID. I think COVID kind of brought the importance of maintaining your mental well-being to the forefront. For sure. And I think um, that really pushed people to acknowledge that there was a stigma against uh, mental illness. And I think in general, as a community, we're trying to move away from this, which is really positive to see. Um, So it's not to say that stigma isn't there in the Western communities. It is well and truly there, but it's generally that we're trying to address it and trying to move away and remove the stigma. Um, Whereas I find in South Asian communities, the topic of mental illness, it's never really discussed. Um, So it's kind of, I guess it's kind of like the depressed, anxious, psychotic, manic elephant in the room. (laughs) Um, So, you know, it's, um, it's there. A lot of people are affected by it, but, you know, we're not going to talk about it because if we don't talk about it, then it doesn't yeah. exist. Yeah, I love that analogy. Yeah. Um, and so practically, while um, ignoring the issue, is, it's a pretty easy approach. In reality, it results in quite a lot of bad health outcomes for the person that has to deal with their illness on a daily basis. And over a longer period of time, it really does begin to affect their quality of life, which is quite sad to see. In terms of the patients that I see, one thing that I always say is mental illness does not discriminate. Mm. 
Um, so I see patients from all walks of life, so all different ethnicities, different types of jobs, different ages, yeah. you know, everything. I see a whole variety of patients. Um, but I guess one thing that I can kind of comment on is with one thing that I have noted, and I think it might be a personal thing because I'm of South Asian background, mm, yeah. um, is I have noticed that some South Asian people, they do present quite late. Right. Um, so they might have had a prodromal illness for a couple of years, but um, they don't present um, to hospital or to their GP um, to seek help um, because um, either themselves or their family are quite afraid of what the people around them might think. And so by the time they um, are seen by the mental health team, their symptoms have progressed quite significantly to the point where it's really impacting their quality of life and that's what has led to them coming in to get help. For sure. And I guess the earlier you come and you seek help, the more of a chance you have of winning the fight against yeah. it, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. Like I always say, um, you know, earlier the better. Yeah, certainly. So I know you touched a couple of times on the stigmas um, around mental health. And as we said, they're universal, but honing in on the South Asian community in particular, because, you know, that's half of the world that, you know, we get a window into and can speak to. Yeah. Um, why do you think these stigmas exist in our cultures to begin with? I guess from a cultural perspective in South Asian communities, there's often an emphasis of individuals, um, especially with males, Mm. um, of them being able to take care of themselves, um, their families, and sometimes even their community. And so there's this perception that if you have a mental illness, it diminishes your capacity to do any of that, Mm. when in reality, that's not the case. So often people with mental illness, um, they are often left feeling weak and ashamed of their illness. Mm. And then this leads to them hiding their symptoms and not seeking help, which in the grander scheme makes things worse um, because they go for much longer without getting the help that they need. And it's usually something like a serious life event, like someone trying to end their life, which often brings them to the attention of the mental health team. Um, So so it kind of has to go to that extreme for someone to seek help. Yeah, yeah. I guess usually this kind of approach that South Asian communities have towards psychiatric conditions is due to a lack of understanding about the nature of mental illness. Mm. And this kind of perpetuates a sense of fear of the unknown. So people in South Asian communities sometimes view um, patients with mental illness as crazy and dangerous, when in fact it's actually the complete opposite. So they're quite vulnerable people who need help and often um, find it difficult to get help because they're afraid of what um, society might view them as. Yeah, I mean, even putting a historical lens on it, if you look at agricultural times, um, people who had any disabilities were kind of ostracized, right? Because um, they were viewed as people who couldn't contribute to society. So people would suppress not only physical illnesses, but mental ones too, uh, to avoid being shunned from their community. Mm. Um, And then when mental health was introduced to hospitals, they were treated more like asylums, right? To keep these people away from disrupting the norm of society, which has obviously shaped some of the stigmas around mental health that we see today. Yeah, and I think it's interesting that you mention um, the asylums because um, I have to say that sometimes I also occasionally get asked, you know, am I going to stay here forever? Mm. And, you know, it really emphasises how worried people are about staying in hospital. And I always, you know, tell them, you know, the hospital is not your place 
living at home with your family is your place in the community. Yeah. Yeah. And I think something you touched on before is around, you know, especially men and people in the community having certain responsibilities. And I think a lot of the time, you know, in our cultures especially, you know, people have this responsibility to look after their elders and their parents and they don't really even stop to think about their own mental health amongst all of that. They're just hustling. Um, That's all they really think about. And they almost don't Mm. want um, a discovery of a mental illness to kind of, you know, I don't know, contaminate their family and, and kind of be like another baggage in their family as well, um, I feel like is a common theme in South Asian cultures in particular. Yeah, um, and I think one of the things that um, as psychiatry trainees um, we say to one another is, um, you know, you can't take care of other people if you're not taking care of yourself. Yeah. Mm. And I think that kind of really extends to like everyone in general. It's not just... Um, mental health clinicians yeah i think there's an analogy that i heard which i really liked if your glass is empty you can't help to fill someone else's glass yeah mm. yeah so i think another thing that's big in our south asian communities and why we stigmatize mental health is that we worry a lot about how other people will perceive us and i think things like that kind of stop people from seeking help as well um, and people don't really realize that the longer people go untreated and denying the fact that their son or daughter or brother or auntie or whoever needs help, they're the ones who suffer because they're being held back by this this massive weight, which isn't being addressed. It's getting suppressed mm. and growing bigger than maybe it needs to. Yeah. Have you had any, I mean, obviously without disclosing too much, have you had any um, patients or parents of patients worry about that with you because you're of a South Asian background and if they're of a South Asian background, they kind of... Um, don't want to disclose too much to you uh, just in case they know you somehow in the community or, or something like that. I'm just curious to know. For me, I haven't I haven't had any of those kind of experiences, which is quite positive to see. Mm. Um, but what I have noticed is sometimes, um, you know, patients as well as their family members actually ask me, um, you know, do you think this will affect the way people see me? Right. And I think that might be because I'm of South Asian background. And so they might think that I might have an insight into yep, um, yep. how mental illness um, impacts the public image a, a person has mm. within their community. And I always kind of emphasize that, you know, mental illness, it's a very common thing. Yeah. And that um, there are a lot of people that suffer from um, these issues. But the fact that, you know, their family member, their son, their daughter, their parent is getting help. Um, I think that's probably the most important thing. Yeah. yeah. And I think just the fact that you're working in this field, when a migrant sees you, um, I mean, it's a very migrant thing to do, right? When you see one of your own, you're bound to feel more comfortable. So um, having people like you working in this field is really, really powerful because you can help break down those walls and have those more candid conversations and um, people in the community can see that and can start normalizing it too. So yeah, I think that's really, really amazing. Um, Thank you. Uh, No, it's, I think um, it's um, quite a privilege to be able to get an insight into the lives of um, um, all the patients that I see. And I really appreciate that they um, place the trust in me that they do. Yeah, that's that's really awesome. Yeah. And I think another one of the reasons why, you know, mental health is taboo by migrants who live in the West is also because back in their own homelands, one, like you mentioned before, Bairi, people were put 
in asylums and they were seen as crazy if they had mental health issues, right, or mental issues. Um, but then also there's a lack of resources available for a lot of the people that, you know, live in, in those countries as well. Um, and, you know, that they don't have the option to seek help because there aren't any, you know, psychologists or psychiatrists where they live and they also have less financial capabilities um, to even afford to see, you know, someone for their mental health, right? Or even to look after their physical ailments, let alone mental, yeah. Yeah, so that's definitely that's something that does happen, I guess, back home. Um, I guess the difference between people living back home as opposed to people living in like Western communities is that they do have access to the resources. Um, So, you know, we have the internet, we have phone apps, um, we have ready access to um, GPs um, through things like the mental health care plan. Mm -hmm. Um, But I guess sometimes it's hard for people who have just migrated from, um, you know, countries like um, Sri Lanka or India and have moved to a Western country like Australia. It's difficult to kind of, wrap your head around trying to learn about mental illness because all that they've ever been exposed to is the fact that, um, you know, mental illness is a taboo topic that you don't really address. Right. Mm. Yeah, I think uh, plugged on from that, the other thing is lack of education because speaking to my parents and my grandparents about the topic, they said that growing up, they never spoke about mental health, whether that be at school or even with their families. So speaking about your feelings speaking about what was going on in your mind wasn't something that was readily done. Mm. Um, And obviously, if you're not educated about it, the way you see your mental health is going to be very different to how we're kind of taught to look at our mental health, you know, growing up in Australia. Yeah, that's definitely a really good point. um, Because I guess um, lack of education regarding mental illness, again, perpetuates the fear of the unknown. Yeah. Um, Because if you don't know something about an issue and all you see is this portrayal of mental um, health patients as being scary and dangerous um, and you know that's all you've ever been exposed to um, that's what you I guess will continue believing until someone kind of shows you otherwise um, so I think one of the really important things is um, you know, educating the people around you about the nature of um, mental illness and how it's quite a common thing and it's not a scary thing yeah for sure yeah and and i think speaking to that if you're not exposed or educated about mental health treatments and the only perception you have um, of these asylum-like hospitals it's only natural to fear the same for yourself or your loved ones Yeah, yeah um so you might not address your mental health because of that limited view on it and i think the other thing is if people have this perception that um, they will be institutionalized. They are less likely to come out and speak about their illness because they think that, you know, if they speak out about it, they will end up in hospital forever. And that's definitely Mm. um, not the reality um, because I guess as a mental health clinician in the public system, um, what I see every day is, you know, people come in with the aim of us being able to get them out as soon as possible so that they can go back to their families for sure yeah and that's the point right to to be able to get them to a point where they can go about their daily life again not to keep them away yeah yeah Um, you want to deal with the issue yeah do you have another example of a gap between assumptions around mental health versus reality so for example sometimes i see that uh family members and um i guess society sometimes view 
patients with mental illnesses kind of bringing it upon themselves. Um, one of the things I've noticed is especially with patients with psychosis, um, sometimes people think that you know they have caused their illness, which is the complete opposite to what's actually going on. So it's, um, it's actually a lot more complicated than that. It's scientifically proven that um, in people who suffer from mental health conditions, there's a dysfunction in the neurotransmitters in their brain. And in addition to that, there's things like genetics that you have to, t- to take into consideration and environmental mm. factors, um, childhood trauma. Yeah, like lifestyle yep. and upbringing and trauma. Yep. trauma yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there's a whole lot of things that play a role in um, the development of mental illness. Um, so, it, so to me, I guess it doesn't really make much sense um, in kind of blaming people for their illness um, because there are a whole lot of factors that are out of their control. And at the end of the day, um, they are very vulnerable people who we should be helping, not blaming. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so true. So we've spoken about the stigmas and reasons why the South Asian community might deflect from thinking about mental health. Um, so I guess one of the ways to break that stigma in our community is to change people's understanding of the importance of mental health. Um, what would be your message for those to better understand why mental health is so important, especially in the age we live in now with social media and COVID and culture clashes and things like that? Um, so I think the best way to normalise um, the topic of mental illness is to actually acknowledge the existence of it and to encourage people to more openly talk about it. Um, so I guess for the people in the South Asian community, um, where mental illness is kind of a taboo topic. Um, One of the big things is, I guess, in any given year, um, one in five people suffer from some form of mental illness, which just shows how common it is. Um, So I guess it's a lot about, um, you know, if you do feel like, you know, something's happening, you know, you're not feeling like yourself, it's really important to go get help and to just always remember that it's such a common thing um, to have a mental illness and the earlier you seek help the better it is for you because I guess your quality of life will just improve that much more the earlier you seek help. Yeah I think even things like therapy which a lot of people in South Asian communities kind of dismiss um, so people don't realize the value of it there's so much power in talking through what's going on in your life with someone who um, can help you make sense of what you're feeling and how it affects your relationships and your actions, right? Um, I think things like that are so powerful, but in our community, um, it's kind of just brushed off. Yeah, and I I think, again, this comes to the perception that people should be able to have um, control of their own feelings. Um, They should, you know, kind of just get over any bad feelings that they're having and they should kind of keep it within themselves because you don't want to ruin a particular image that you're trying to portray to the society. Whereas yeah. Yeah. I think the reality is being able to speak about your feelings, your thoughts, um, your emotions, the way you react to different situations and getting a health professional's opinion and help in regards to these things um, would actually be quite beneficial. Yeah, and then... Speaking of people not not getting therapy, that means that they've got all this trauma built up inside Mm. them that they're not dealing with. Um, And then when you don't see your parents seek out for help, then you feel like maybe you can't 
seek help or yeah. complain about your own issues that you're yeah. going through, right? Especially when a lot of migrants have faced so many hardships, right? Um, exactly. Some facing war or poverty and, you know, uprooting to rebuild a life in a new world. Um, yeah, if any trauma that. that might exist isn't dealt with properly, it's bound to manifest and come out in unhealthy ways and um, potentially pass on to others. Exactly. And then ultimately it impacts your relationships, the way you go about life day to day. Um, but you just never, it just goes, you know, un, undiagnosed and unspoken of. No yeah. Doubt. yeah. Yeah. So speaking of all of this, um, I, I know you addressed a couple of these just before, but what else do you think we need to do to normalize mental health um, and spread more positive messages around it, especially in our South Asian communities? Um, so I think one of the things is, um, I guess, like I said previously, is to openly talk about it. And um, I guess if you know someone who has a mental illness, you know, checking up on them and, you know, even something as simple as asking them how they are, you know, if they're doing mm. okay, that will make all the difference in their life. And sometimes, you know, it could even potentially save their life. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then to that as well and, and checking in with people, if you do identify that, you know, someone you're close with or someone you're talking to um, may be suffering from a mental illness, um, even to a, you know, a smaller degree, um, I guess encouraging them to seek help is probably a really good next step so that, you know, it is the, the value of therapy is also normalised, yeah. like we were saying before, right? Yeah, and I think one of the other things is... Um, you know, letting them know that you'll always be there for them as a um, support person. You know, if they do want to talk to someone or just want someone to be around with them when they're going through this. Mm. Yeah, for sure. And that they won't be... I feel like there's that fear that people think that if they do disclose that they have a mental issue, that that's what will define them, whereas that's not the case at all. They have so many other things mm. that still define who they are. It's not their mental illness that will define them. So I think ensuring people of that too might sure. help normalise the conversation a little yeah. bit. Yeah, and of course, all of this isn't limited just in the South Asian community, yeah, right? it's everywhere. Um, it's everywhere, yeah. but I guess the reason why we want to pick your brain, Barry, is because we feel like there is a lot of growth that we need to do in, um, in our communities. Yeah, yeah. I, I do think that um, compared to 10, 15 years ago, even in the South Asian community, there is um, more discussion about mental illness, which is great to see. Mm. Uh, but I do think we have a lot of distance to go. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, well, hopefully over time, these conversations become more normalised and we see that ripple effect come through. But obviously, you know, it's not going to just happen overnight. Um, so it's important, like we've just said, that as individuals, we just start these conversations with people around us. Yeah, and thanks again so much, Bari, for helping us make sense of why our communities view mental health in the ways that they do. Yeah. Um, we definitely learnt a lot, and I'm sure all of our listeners did as well. Definitely. So, um, Thank thanks you. for doing what you're doing. Thanks, guys. Thank you for having me on the podcast. Conversations like this, I think, are really important. And I think this is one of the best platforms to do it on. We didn't tell her to say that. <laughs> um, before we let you go, do you have any recommendations for our listeners? So my recommendation would be the Pixar movie Inside Out. Oh. Yes. Um, so I think I think it's a fantastic movie and um, Pixar have really um, captured a really complex issue in such a fun and um, humorous way. Yeah. And Mindy Kaling's in it as yeah. well, which makes it better. 
Yeah, it's crazy how Pixar <laughs> yeah. simplifies such complex ideas to make it digestible for children, a kid, but yeah. also like yeah. super introspective for adults. Yeah, I love that recommendation. Such a good movie. <laughs> It was great getting Dr. Bari's perspective as someone who works in the field and sees what we need to do better from the ground level. But now let's get the perspective of a first-generation South Asian Australian who's navigating his own mental health journey. Before we dive in, I just want to say a massive thanks again for doing this.、Um, conversations like this aren't easy, but they're important. And hopefully, by you sharing your stories and perspectives, it'll help other people reflect on their mental health and that of their loved ones. And hopefully ignite some important conversations themselves too. So thanks for doing this, man. Yeah, we really appreciate it. Glad to be a part of it. So,、um, as much as you're comfortable sharing, could you tell us a little more about the early stages of your mental health journey? Yeah, so I was in year nine, and I noticed like I wasn't really enjoying things as much. Didn't have as much energy. I was really tired all the time. I didn't really have a word to explain what I was feeling, but I knew something was up. Like I, I just felt sad all the time. I guess like the word I was looking for was I felt depressed. And then I decided to speak to some friends about it. The school found out eventually, and my parents were informed. So I saw a psychologist for the first time, which was really daunting, but very helpful、um, in the end. So I was much better. And then things kind of went downhill again for me. And what I did, what I didn't realize was I was actually having a manic episode. But I didn't realize at the time because I had no clue what that was. I just、mm-hmm. thought I was like happy and going crazy, right? And then I became depressed again. Yeah, ended up seeing a, psych- a psychiatrist, and I got a diagnosis. And things were just so much clearer for me. Like I understood. Like it was like it's like a light bulb moment. Like I could finally like put a label to what I was feeling and what was going、mm, on in my life. For sure. Yeah. And and thanks so much for sharing that. Yeah.、Um, yeah. You said that the first people you told that something wasn't right were your friends, which I imagine would have been really hard.、Um, what gave you the courage to open up and have that conversation? Oh, it was really hard. Like I rehearsed and rehearsed it for like weeks. Going, what am I going to say? What am I going to do? Who am I going to tell? It was quite tough. And then finally, I thought, you know what? Let's let's just do this. I I need to kind of like get this out, and I wanted to relieve this like pressure in my chest that I had.、Mm. Yeah, I think I just wanted to let it out, and I was hoping for some kind of like explanation for why I was feeling the way I was feeling.、Mm. I just felt really alone. So I finally told my friends, and it it was helpful, but it wasn't as helpful as I wanted to be. And the the other issue was that because everyone was young, they didn't really. They don't have a lot of experience in life,、right. so like imagine telling a fourteen-year-old you're depressed, like they don't really know how to react.、Mm. Um, so that was quite tough for me.、Mm. Do you remember the worst piece of advice you got when you opened up about your mental health? Just exercise, be happy. <laughs> think of all the the positive things in life. Think of all the the people in Africa who are struggling, and then <laughs> go, "I'm so much better." Oh、off. my god! Yeah, yeah. And that was like really hard for me to listen to, like. To think to to hear that what I'm going through is just like an everyday thing for everyone, whereas like to me it was like a big thing. Yeah, basically just invalidating me completely.、Mm. That was quite tough. Yeah, yeah, of course. I think when it comes to comparisons like that, a lot of the time people say it as like a motivational thing, right?、Yeah. Mm. Um, whereas it doesn't work that way. It's kind of、uh, diminishing what you're going through,、100%. which kind of adds to that. Kind of, it's kind of like the effects of toxic positivity, right? Yeah, hundred. It it exactly is toxic positivity. Things like saying, "Oh, you'll be fine. You'll be okay. Oh, it's gonna be all right." It can be can sometimes be quite unhelpful. You were also saying that it was very invalidating talking to your friends.、Mm-hmm. Do you think it makes it tougher because you're a guy and there's a stigma around、um, men showing emotions and they're not meant to, and it's usually channeled not through you know talking about how you're feeling?、Mm-hmm. Do you think that made it harder? 
for me, more than me being able to open up, it was more about how guys responded to me opening up to them. Mm. So I found that opening up to the boys is really tough because, like, for them, it's like, yeah, you're just going to be, like, be a, guy, be a man, you know, yep. man up, toughen up. And they themselves, they don't share emotion. Yep. So when another guy does, they don't know how to react yeah. exactly. because yeah. it's not common conversation. Well, guys are all talking about, like, on a sport and, like, memes and girls and it's never about how we actually felt about things. Mm. Like, mm. even just on a, on a bit of a side note, when, when you, a guy would go through breakups, yeah. the boys would be like, oh, mm. like, stuff that girl, oh, you know, just move on. Oh, you, you need a rebound, mm. like, that kind of stuff. Nothing really to actually support how the guy was feeling. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. So you mentioned that, you know, you obviously went to your friends first and then through that the school found out and then through the school your parents found out. Yeah. Um, why didn't you go to your parents first? Um, I think I just wasn't really close to my family at the time. Mm-hmm. Like we never really discussed feelings and emotions and um, those kind of things. So bringing that up with my parents was quite tough for me. Yeah. And having that, the first conversation was really difficult. And I guess that's perpetuated by how South Asian communities look at mental health, right? Yeah. Because when many of our parents were growing up, they weren't taught to share emotions mm. and support was very different. So that trickles down to future generations because we're taught the same things. Um, to that as well, right? I, I find that in our communities, people don't really ask each other how they are or they don't ask someone how are you that simple question Mm. um i mean i I guess we do amongst youth but you know if you see aunties or uncles it's not really a question that comes up yeah literally like when i go to family functions they don't ask me how i am they ask me how's uni or how's music or how's studies things like that right yeah exactly it's it's never about like how the person actually is Yeah. yeah and then if your parents aren't talking about their own mental health struggles and if they're not asking you how you are you know, how are you going to feel comfortable enough to open up about something so huge, mm. right? Mm. Yeah. I think it's also a migrant thing. Like, they don't really, like, mental health is not a priority for them because they're coming to a new country and trying to, like, rebuild their life and get a career and have kids. So they don't have time to uh, to do with depression yeah. or anxiety and things like that because that's just on the back burner for them, right? Mm. Yeah, and then I guess flowing in through that, um, sometimes we look at our parents and look at how much they've had to struggle through as mm. migrants mm. and then kind of uh, say, you know, they've been through, you know, war or poverty or mm. hardship. They've rebuilt their life in a new country. They would have seen and experienced so many more hardships than me. I've got a roof over my head. I've got food on the table. Mm-hmm. What do I have to complain about? Like, whatever I'm feeling is nothing compared to yeah. the struggles they had to go through. So I'm going to kind of um, diminish what I'm going through because I'm comparing it against what my parents went through. Yeah. So we need to recognise that the challenges of today are very different, right? 100%. But then in reality, our parents, you know, and people that have faced and seen war in their own countries or poverty, uh, they would have so much trauma built up in them, Mm. right? Where they probably should go to to see someone to talk about it with, but they don't. And then it builds up that intergenerational trauma that we were talking about earlier. Mm. Yeah, exactly. So after your parents found out, what were the next steps in seeking help? Uh, So I started seeing a psychologist and things got better. And then I went into a manic episode, an episode of depression, and then I saw a psychiatrist. And that was really helpful because I got a like a diagnosis, which is really handy because it, it was like an explanation for what I was going through. It was like, you've got this and this is why you're feeling this and why you're experiencing this. That was very helpful because I just didn't know what was going on at the time. I guess you would have got a bit of comfort being able to put a label on what you were experiencing. 100%. Yeah. 
Um, and then what were you diagnosed with? So I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And for people who might not be familiar with it, what does bipolar mean? So in bipolar disorder, there are two different mood states. There's depression and mania. So depression is like feeling low, feeling tired, um, not much energy, not, not much motivation, feeling quite worthless and hopeless. Um, and mania, it's a state of euphoria. So when I get manic, I feel really good. I feel energetic, I feel full of life, like I'm invincible, I'm a king. Um, but there comes downsides to like that, like dangerous behavior. So I take a lot of risks. When I drive, for example, I don't really look when I'm turning. I kind of just take reds and all that kind of stuff. So I'll spend like money on things I just don't need or neglect friendships, neglect like my family, neglect studies and work as well because nothing matters, right? Everything's, everything's great, everything's perfect. So it doesn't matter what I do, everything's going to be fine. And then that can also, I struggle with friendships as well because like you don't really know how to interact with people as well because you don't have much insights. You can't really tell how your friends are reacting to what you're doing. That can be quite tricky to be honest. Right. So while it is quite enjoyable, you don't really realize that you're actually kind of like your world is getting destroyed because of yourself, kind of ruining mm. your own life. Mm. So it's hard to be self-aware. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Did finding out about your diagnosis and knowing that you have bipolar disorder make you feel any different? Yeah, I felt quite alienated to be honest because I didn't know anyone who had bipolar disorder. Like I feel like I was, I didn't know anyone who had a mental illness at all to be honest. So for me, it was just like, I have bipolar disorder, I have mental illness and everyone else in the world is fine. And I felt that way for quite a few years, actually. Um, and that changed when I had a, a hospital admission. Mm-hmm. And I made so many friends with people who, like, just came from all walks of life, who had all sorts of illnesses. I met people with depression, ADHD, bipolar, OCD. And so I felt like I was part of a community. I felt less alone and, like, I felt like I fit in somewhere. Whereas I didn't get that at the start. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that would have been a good support network for you as well, right? Seeing them sharing their experiences. Yeah, I think shared experience is really important, like, knowing how other people's got through what they're doing. And like, I learned so much from my friends, like all these little techniques that I'd never even heard of before. I learned from like a lot of my hospital friends. So That's awesome. It was such a good community to be a part of. Yeah. Wow. And then going back to your parents, um, were you nervous about them finding out about what was going on? Yeah, I was pretty nervous because like, I didn't know how they would react, whether they'd be mad or upset or angry. And like, I wasn't really a big fan of my parents knowing how I was doing. I still, I'm still not really kind of getting, kind of learning how to do that a bit more. When I found out that they were going to find out, I was just, I was so anxious to be honest. Mm. And I guess that goes back to um, what you were saying earlier about because you don't have that relationship with your parents to be open and talk about your feelings. Obviously, you're going to be super anxious about yep. them finding out about something so big mm. because you've never had a conversation with them before about your feelings yeah. and what you're going through. But then that doesn't help what you're going through because it's adding even more exactly. stress and yep. more exactly. anxiety. Yeah, like I'm still developing that relationship with my parents at the moment. Mm. So I think if I had if I'd built even something, just something small with my parents, would have made life a, like a hell of a lot easier for me. Mm. Yeah. For sure. So what was the reaction when they found out? Well, my mom panicked. My dad, well, my dad's one of those, because obviously he's a, he's a Sri Lankan father, so <laughs> he's not going to show how he feels. <laughs> so I can't, I can't, and I can't read him either. So he, he might have felt anxious or nervous or something, but I wouldn't have been able to tell. And they were quite shocked at the time. Like, they'd probably never even heard of what was going on in my life. They had zero experience whatsoever, so... They were just didn't know what to do, didn't know how to react. Yeah, I think that's a very South Asian parent thing to do, right? 
Um, sometimes when they're confronted with things that they haven't faced before, they kind of go zero to a hundred. Um, but that's not the way to deal with mental health illnesses, right? Mm. Um, you need to kind of take a few steps back, figure out the best way forward and then take it one step at a time. Mm. So, um, I completely get how, if your parents dealt with it that way, how much more difficult it would have been for you, Mm. um, with everything going on, because they're not being sensitive to how you need the situation to be dealt with, but rather reacting to the situation in the way they think the situation should be dealt with. Yeah. 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 Not like, not, not accommodating for my needs. Yeah. And to that as well, right? Like it doesn't help if the person you've told or your parent is panicking because it then adds even more stress to Mm. you. You know, it's like you even, I mean, internally, yes, they, they're obviously worried about you, but to externalize it and show it in that way, you know, obviously doesn't help at all. And I think a lot of that panic around mental health, I mean, Sandin and I were doing some research around the history of mental health and, um, you know, back in the day, people who were struggling from mental health, they were put into mental asylums, right? Like they were kind of separated from society and these asylums weren't there to take care of them, but they were there to just, yeah, to remove them because they were seen as a disruption to society. So I feel like people thought that people that were struggling with mental mental illness um, weren't able to carry themselves in society, won't be able to get jobs, won't be able to get married, blah, blah, blah. And I think those perceptions carry on to, to our parents and the way that a lot of, you know, South Asian communities still think about mental health. So, yeah. Like... The asylums actually used for people who are like extremely unwell. Mm. So, and that that's kind of why my mom would have panicked, right? Because she would have thought the only people mental illness she knows about are the ones who are like really unwell. So like people like me wouldn't have been in an asylum. We would have just lived with it, right? Yeah. But those people there are like, they can't, they can't function. If I'm not thinking those people can't function, then maybe I can't function. Yeah, and, and the people that were put into asylums because their mental illness was that extreme, they may not have even gotten to that level of extreme if their mental health had been dealt with the earlier right on, yeah. right? Yeah, but no one talked about to begin with, so then they, they got to that extreme level and then were, were basically separated from society. Um, and to that, and speaking of the stigma and the taboo around um, mental illness, um, what do you think are some general misconceptions about mental health? One of the ones I've come across quite recently is that dealing with mental health is like dealing with a physical illness. Wow. So one guy said to me, oh, you've got bipolar. Oh, it's just like treating a broken leg, right? And I was thinking, well, when you treat a broken leg, you, you do some surgery, you put on a cast, and then a few weeks later, you're better, right? But it's really not like that. There's no, like, one. It's not like you, you, give, you give us a magic pill and then we're fine. For me, it's been seven years and I'm still not, like, 100% well, right? Like, yeah, things might be better than it was before, but it took me, like, years of trialing different medications, different psychologists, things like that. But I'm still, like, working to deal with what's going on in my life. So that's a big misconception that I've come across lately. That sucks, because you'd think that in 2021, people would be more sensitive to mental health. Yeah, yeah, but not really. And just because mental illnesses are invisible... Um, it doesn't mean that you can equate physical illnesses with mental ones, right? Yeah. Yep. And that's something that really scares me. Like how many people in my life might be struggling with their mental health and just not sharing it. So one thing I've been trying to do is to check in beyond just, hey, how's it going? Um, and taking a step further to ask, how are you really? Um, which I think gets a deeper response because it kind of gets you to stop and reflect. Yeah. And even asking how someone really is, yeah. it's something that Sandin 
always does mm-hmm. ask he'll say how are you and then i'll say i'm good and he'll be like how are you really <laughs> um and now i'm drawing the correlations <laughs> as to why you why you ask that question it's a really important question to ask how are you really yeah because like how are you is a greeting right it's not a it's not a real question it's like, mm. like how's it going you know and you wouldn't say oh you know i'm feeling really really low today not feeling too great you just yeah. say yeah so ask the question how are you really the real real game changer Another misconception that I've also experienced is um, that you can be cured from a mental illness. Mm. It's not really a reality for everyone. Like Some people will get through it and manage it like it's not there anymore. But for a lot of people, it's like an ongoing journey. And like for me, for example, it'll be there for the rest of my life, but it's more like me learning to manage things better. So rather than going, oh, this will be fixed by this date, it'll be like, as I go by through my life, I'll be able to manage this better and be able to monitor things better and just get through life easier. Mm, and that's probably a better way of looking at it. Yeah, like I see a lot of my friends who go, oh, hopefully this year I'll be better. And like when this year passes and they're not better, they get quite disappointed because they think that they're going to get like a magic fix, right? But that's that's probably because that's been perpetuated by the misconceptions of mental health. Yeah, yeah. A misconception that I heard about when it comes to, um, you know, struggling with mental health is that if you do struggle with mental health um, and, you know, we're not met, not everybody may be diagnosed with a mental illness, but, um, you know, we all go through some sort of mental struggle, lesser degrees though. Um, But, you know, if you do have a mental illness, especially a diagnosis like yourself, um, people view that as a weakness and mm. not as a strength, and then because of that, they view you as less successful almost. Whereas, to me, and um, it should be that if you are facing a mental illness, if you're dealing with that day to day, that shows such great strength. And to me, like even you know, looking at you, that's huge strength and mm. that's huge success. It shouldn't sure. be viewed as such a weak and, and negative thing. Yeah, as well. for sure. 100%. Um, and then drilling down to your experiences with the South Asian community specifically, what misconceptions did you face there? Like, did your family hide what you were going through because of the stigmas around it in our community? Yeah, so my parents only told their family members who were doctors because mm. they fe- felt that they would be able to understand things a lot better, but everyone else, like, didn't know. No one, even our people don't know at all. Yeah, so they definitely, like, were, like saying things to me like, don't tell these people, don't tell those people. Yeah. Mm, and why do you think that was? Well, my mom, well, I actually had this conversation with my mom about uh, a couple weeks ago. And she said, I didn't want you to tell people because I didn't want them to feel sorry for you. I didn't want them to treat you differently. I didn't want them to think of you as a lesser person. Man, that must have been so hard to hear. Yeah. yeah. Um, how did that make you feel? It makes me feel like I should be ashamed of my mental illness, which I shouldn't be, but no. that's the kind of vibe I get. From my parents no no de- you definitely shouldn't yeah be. yeah um do you think that's something that's perpetuated across many south asian families yeah 100 percent. like i've got friends who've also got mental illnesses who are from the south asian community and they experience the exact same thing and my psych i was talking to my psychologist about this and he was saying all of his south asian clients experience like very similar things mm. where the parents are trying to keep it within the family and not tell other people and yeah. hide it from everyone else mm. Another misconception I've experienced in the South Asian community is people feeling like like people with mental illness, they can't function as well as other people or aren't going to be as good as other people because, they're, because they've got this kind of like... This is, they, they think of it as a disability, basically, which is not. 
Um, but you see a lot of like famous people who are really successful in life, people who aren't even famous that are successful. Yeah. People like Kanye West who has bipolar, Richard Branson who has ADHD, and those two are like really successful. Yeah, that's definitely a very unfair stigma to have, right? Because I mean, even looking at you, right? Like if someone met you, they wouldn't be able to tell that you got bipolar. They should be like, oh, there's this cool guy who wears cool, cool clothes and plays cool music, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and even examples in sport. Um, there have been some male athletes who've come out and spoken about their mental health struggles recently. Yep. In the NBA, there was Kevin Love and DeMar Rosen who shared their journeys a couple of years ago, which was massive at the time. And here in Australia, we've had cricketers like... Um, Glenn Maxwell, who publicly said that um, he needs some time away from the game to take care of his mental health. Yep. Which is a really good reminder that, you know, things like this are normal and aren't things to be ashamed about. And they can be spoken about openly and it's okay to be navigating through it. Yeah. And that's a, those people are also really good role models as well, right? Because there's a lot of young kids that look up, look up to those people. Yeah. Um, And if they're coming out with that, then it also kind of, helps those kids that are looking up to them to be aware of their mental health a bit more too. Yeah, I think like back to the cricketers who took a break, it kind of, it is a good role model because it shows that, you know, it's okay to take a step back. It's okay to step away from work or study just for a little bit, take a break from what you're doing just to like recuperate. Yeah. Mm. And in last week's episode, one of the things we spoke about is how the celebrity culture in South Asia is very different to what it is in the West. But I think it means so much if someone well known from that part of the world, um, an actor or a musician or athlete, um, if more of them spoke transparently about their mental health struggles Mm. and what they're doing to manage, I think that will be a really big thing to help start normalizing it as well. Yep. So taking a step forward, Sendin, what have you learned about mental mm. health by, you know, being mates with our guest? Yeah, I've, I've learned so much. So I think one important thing that I learned, which um, is something that I can apply to all relationships in my life, is that early on he'd come to me and share that he wasn't well or that something was up and I'd react to the situation how... I think he wants me to react as opposed to what he actually needs. Mm. Um, So now we do a good job of, you know, he'll call me out and say, hey, remember that thing that happened the other day? Um, I don't like how you responded to that situation. Next time, can you do this instead? Uh, Because it'll help me more. Mm. And I really like that approach because he receives this kind of support that will help him best. And I have peace of mind knowing that I'm helping him in the best way that I can. Mm. Um, another thing is learning that it's not my job to fix the problem but rather I'm a partner on his journey to help him manage it as best as he can yeah Um, and things like not needing to have all the right answers all the time to help um, and how you know like if we're having a vulnerable conversation silence is okay like I don't need to fill in all the silence for the sake of it Um, so it's been a journey for me too and it's been Super special seeing him grow throughout it. Thanks, man. Mm. Um, and then looking at how you're managing your mental health at the moment, um, what do you do sort of at the moment therapy-wise? I know you said you see a psychologist um, and a psychiatrist, yep. but is there anything else you do that's really helpful for you? I also attend an outpatient program at a hospital. Uh, so every week we go in there and we do a check-in. We talk about what happened in our week, what we're struggling with, learn some skills, do some mindfulness. Um, the thing is, the thing with group therapy is that everyone has their way of dealing with things, and sometimes it's really helpful because 
their way of dealing with things is probably it could be the same way you'd want to deal with things. So it kind of helps you kind of get ideas of how to manage your mental health. Yeah. And just like engaging with the community, so with friends and family, that's really important because like when I'm depressed, for example, I tend to isolate. But really the one thing that I need is my friends to listen to me. Even if you just go to the park, go for a walk or, you know, just grab bubble tea or something, which is what me and Santa do from time to time. <laughs> um, there's other things like getting your sleep in order is really crucial. Exercise is really important. Managing your diet is also very important. So there's like little things you can do to manage your mental health. And you're quite involved with the creative arts as well, right? I feel like that's a good way to express yourself and escapism for you too. Yeah, so music is like just something that's been really important in my life. Sometimes when I'm feeling depressed, just pick up pick up my instrument and just jam out or get my laptop and write some beats. And it's like a real distraction. And it's also a good way to express myself. Yeah. Because I can just like, I don't know, improvise. I really like, and it's just so free. Like you can do whatever you want. There's no There's rules, no, limits. no boundaries. Yeah. yeah, no limits. So it's quite amazing. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, are, are more people who do know about your struggles with mental health are they coming up to you for advice uh, and opening up to you about their own struggles? Yeah, I've had a few friends from uni come to me and be like, you know, I'm struggling with this. Um, what can I do? Or they, they came to me and said, you know, I'm seeing a psychologist. And I thought, oh, that's amazing. Like people yeah. reaching out to get help. To finally see that she's actually taking some extra steps to, to seek help, which is, was really um, uplifting for me to see. Mm. I also had another friend who... Um, actually, this is a, this is like something I resonated with quite a bit. He said, um, "How do you know if you're depressed?" Mm. And that really resonated because, like I said before, when I was young, I didn't know what I was going through. I didn't know mm. what was happening. So, to be able to share my lived experience was actually quite quite important for me. Yeah, yeah, that's really powerful, man. And speaking around that as well, what is your message to other people who could be going through this right now? Uh, you're not alone. There's always people around you who are going to be there for you and there's always people you're not the only one going through what's going on in your life and there are many people who have um learned to manage what they're going through a lot better so it does get easier over the years and i can vouch i can 100 vouch for that um we'll strike up a conversation with someone you're close with someone you can trust someone like maybe a friend or a family member or someone in the community that you can speak to it's like, mm. it'd be good to kind of establish a support network um and then just talk to them about it. And you can also go to the GP. Yeah. They'll give you a referral to a psychologist or a psychiatrist. And we can go from there. Yeah, yeah that's some really great advice. So, so coming to kind of the close of our episode, um, what do you think the South Asian community needs to do to spread you know, more positive messages about mental health and kind of normalize it? I think it's important to start talking about it more because in the community, we don't talk about it at all. Like, and when we do... It's just like one line and that's that's it. We just like talk about like it's shameful. So get people to be aware that something like this exists. It's a real issue and normalize those kind of conversations. That'd be really important. Yep. Um, so Romy and I are going to cheat a little bit this week and we're not going to give a recommendation, but we're going to ask you to give two. So um, we'd like one as like a general recommendation and we'd would like a mental health specific one that we could share with our listeners. Of course. So my general one is a book called Who Ordered This Truckload of Dung by Ajahn Brahm. So it's a book written by a monk and he has just like short stories with like life lessons. 
So there's like different sections in this book. So one's about like guilt and anger and pain and things like that. And something I've learned from that book is that it's important to allow yourself to feel emotions. Mm. So rather than fighting against it or struggling, you just like allow it, to, you allow it to feel this, observe it and just notice it and sit with it. Yeah, that's awesome. And I know you mentioned a few other um, things that you've learned from this book outside of the podcast. Um, are you applying those kind of teachings to your day-to-day? I am, yeah. Yeah, it's good. Like when I was in an episode of depression earlier on, I just I just realized, okay, I'm feeling this and it's okay. And I hold myself kindly and it was pretty helpful. That's awesome, man. That, that's, uh, that's really beautiful. Yeah. Um, so on top of that, are there any mental health related recommendations that you also have? So there's a couple of websites. Um, Headspace has got a good um, bit of information and they've also got a, an online support. So you can, it's basically an online chat and you can chat to a psychologist and they'll help you out. There's also Beyond Blue, a lot of information on there too. And there's this app that I discovered a while back called Dalio. And essentially it's um, a mood tracker. And what it does is it tracks your mood and also checks what activity you're doing at the time. And it collects that data and you'll go, oh, okay, so say you're watching TV and you log your mood as like meh, right? Then if you do that a few times and then you check the app and be like, okay, every time you watch TV, your mood is meh, mm. right? So it kind of gives you that data and you kind of realize what your trigger points are right yeah 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 Yeah, it's awesome a pattern yeah as well right yeah my psychologist always talks about how like mental health is all about patterns Mm. yeah yeah on the flip side you can also like focus on activities that you realize you've been happy while Mm. doing let's say going to the park and then you can be like okay every time i go to the park my mood is great so i should go to the park yeah yeah that's awesome and then also realizing what about that park is making you feel happy so is it the people is it the nature is it the walking you know so kind of work out what what works well for you yeah that's it well um thanks again for doing this um and on a personal note i've said it before but i'm just really proud to see you grow in this journey um i've seen you through the highs and lows but the way you've handled it has been been so admirable and inspirational um and you you sharing your journey on this podcast will i hope uh help other people understand their mental health Mm. and that of the people around them Yeah, and that's all we need, right? Even if one person listens to this episode and notices that they're struggling with mental health or knows somebody who maybe is but isn't speaking about it, if they can take action on that, that's all we really need. So we really, really appreciate it. Thanks, appreciate it. Thanks for having me on the show. And on that note, that concludes our fourth episode. Thank you all for listening. This episode is so close to our hearts, so please be sure to share it with your friends and family. Make sure you have those important conversations check in with your loved ones and remember to ask how are you really remember to also follow us on instagram at stuck in between underscore podcast our second guest gave us some really great exercises on managing our mental health on a day-to-day which we will make sure we post on instagram for all of you and stay tuned for our next episode dropping feb 15th catch you then